Please stand for the reading of the gospel. We read from Luke's gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. As they went on their way, Jesus came into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who was sitting at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her serving. She came over and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered and told her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. In fact, Mary has chosen that better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Reading friends in Christ Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. At first glance, this seems like kind of a cute, innocent, quaint little story about everyday family life, doesn't it? I mean, who of us hasn't, whether it's with a roommate or a spouse or a sibling or parents, had a little squabble about the chores. Who should be doing the chores and who should be helping out and who should do what? Who hasn't a squabble, had a squabble like that? But if all that was is a quaint, cute, innocent little story about family life, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit would have inspired Luke to waste the ink on it. If that's all it was, was a cute story, why would it be recorded in Scripture for us. Now, this story of Mary and Martha teaches us some very serious truths. And there's a problem with Mary and Martha. Because I know this story is very well known. I'm sure this isn't the first time you've ever heard it. But it's far from well understood. And that's a problem. What's the problem? The first problem is that we underestimate the magnitude of Martha's sin. You might be thinking, what is the big deal? What did she even do wrong here? If she was busy leading an insurrection at the house of Pontius Pilate because of some, some unjust decision that he had made, well, we could see the sin there. If she was busy wiping the blood off of a knife that she had used to murder her neighbor, well, we could see the sin there. If she was busy in a bedroom with someone else's husband, we could see the sin there. If she was busy hiding a bounty that she had stolen from a neighbor down the street, we could see the sin there. If she was even smearing the reputation of someone else, we could see the sin. But where's the sin here? You might even think that Martha is a praiseworthy figure here. She's the one busy serving. She's the one active, showing her love for her Lord and Savior. You might consider it rather minor what Martha is guilty of, but we're going to see that really Martha, with her busyness, her work, and her worry, is manifested as breaking the first three commandments. Yes, Martha is guilty of breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. She is an idolater. How? Scripture doesn't record all that often. Jesus 
entering the house of a particular individual, although he obviously did many different times. He, he visited the house of Simon the Pharisee. He visited the house of Peter to take care of his mother for him. Obviously, he visited the house of Zacchaeus. And notably, he visited Mary and Martha's house at least three times that we know of. In each of those other instances, the host is very careful to take the time to sit and listen as Jesus spoke. And obviously here is an exception. Martha did not take the time to sit and listen. Even though she acknowledged it was her Lord, meaning she recognized that here was God speaking to her, and she didn't take the time to listen. She had another God. What would we call that God? Maybe the God of hospitality? And if you've ever run into this God of hospitality, you know how demanding it can be, right? There's always more floors to be cleaned, more dishes to be washed, more meals to be cooked. Nothing is ever actually done. And even after you think you've done everything to get ready for guests, then they leave and you have to clean up the mess. The God of hospitality is a demanding God. Now, I know you might think it's kind of silly to call the God of hospitality an idol that she was actually worshiping here, but Scripture is very clear that whatever is most important in your life at any given moment, that is your God. I'm not suggesting that any of you secretly worship Allah or Buddha on your, in your free time. I don't think you would be here if you did. In the context of this story, I'm not even suggesting that there might be some evil, wicked thing that you are worshiping in your life that is the most important thing for you right now, although that is also a possibility. No, this story leads us to consider, to examine our own hearts to see if there's some good thing that has taken the place of God as the most important thing in our lives. And it can be anything. And it's always, almost always a good thing that the devil uses to elevate into our hearts as an idol above the one true God. It can be anything. It can be your family. It can be your spouse, your child. It can be your job. It can be worry. It can be busyness. It can be problems in our world. It can be politics. Anything can become a God. And quite frequently, it's a good thing that takes the place of the one true God. So what's the most important thing in your life right now. For Martha, at this moment, it was not her Lord and Savior. It was not Jesus. It was her service to Jesus. That had become the God in her heart. Now note this. This wasn't a formal worship service. This wasn't worship at the synagogue on the Sabbath. I would compare this more to Bible study. So after the bells ring today at the end of church and you're walking out the doors, I want you to consider if there's something more important out there than staying here to sit at Jesus' feet for just 20 or so more minutes today. It's worth thinking about. Martha was an idolater. She was also a blasphemer. Where do you see that? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's try to get ourselves into that scene. You know, I kind of picture it this way, that obviously Mary is sitting passively listening to Jesus. 
She's not helping her sister Martha. And Martha, well, she's frantic. She's busy. She's all over the place, zooming in and out. And you know, in every household, there's this, I don't know what to call it, an unwritten, unspoken kind of chore code. You know what it looks like? It's, it's, it's how if you want somebody, a sibling or a child or your roommate, to understand that they should really get up, get up off their butts and help you with a chore, when you're doing your chores, they get to be pretty aggressive. You know, the, the dishes in the sink suddenly start to clash a little bit louder as you're trying to get their attention. Maybe you, uh, when you're vacuuming, you, you vacuum right in front of them as they're trying to watch TV. Maybe you, uh, you conspicuously leave the bag of garbage right next to their easy chair. You know, that passive-aggressive thing, the, the chore code? I, and I think it's especially vicious in between sisters, right? Apparently, Jesus didn't get the chore code because um, he just kept teaching. And Mary kept sitting there and listening until Martha gets so fed up that she comes right up to Jesus and says, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me, that I have to do all the serving all by myself? Tell her to help me. Did you hear the blasphemy in there? The Lord has given us his name, and he wants us to use it to call upon him in the day of trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. He did not give us his name to tell him what to do. In fact, that is a very serious sin. Martha was trying to manipulate the Lord here to tell him about his business. Now, the Lord invites us to use his name to ask him anything according to his will. But don't we dare try to tell him what to do. That is arrogance of the highest sort. That is a blasphemous use of the name of the Lord. Why didn't we... Did, did you know these sins? Did you recognize these sins before when you've heard the story about Mary and Martha? Why don't we see them very clearly? Why, if Martha was actually guilty of insurrection or adultery or murder or something like that, why would we see that as serious? But our initial take of this story is, well, what Martha did wasn't really that bad. I think it's because it's just our nature to see sins against the second table of the law, that is 4 through 10, as more serious than sins against the first table of the law, 1 through 3. Sins against the second table, they're they're for the most part, they're obvious, right? They're visible, they're tangible. They're things that other people might find out about and see in our lives. They're, for the most part, they're sins that even the unbelieving world agrees is wrong. The unbelieving world agrees murder is wrong. The unbelieving world, even though it tolerates it, knows deep down in its heart, adultery is wrong, and theft is wrong, and slander is wrong. But there's no law in our country that says that Blaspheming the name of the Lord is wrong, or that idolatry is wrong. In fact, there are mobs of people and, and large nonprofit groups that fight so that people can be idolaters. Why don't we see this as more serious? And it leads to another question. Why did Martha end up breaking the first and second commandment? Well, probably because she broke the third commandment. She was despising the word of the Lord. And probably that's the most tragic thing about Martha's story is that 
She was despising the one thing that could take away her sin. She was despising the one cure for her idolatry and her blasphemy. How could she possibly be saved if she couldn't take the time to sit and listen to the words of the Gospel from Jesus' own lips? How can you and I possibly be saved from all of our sins against all ten of the commandments if we don't take the time to listen to Jesus? So underestimating the magnitude of Martha's sin is the first problem with Mary and Martha, but it's not the last one. Did you notice the kind of common thread uh, in Jesus' interactions as he's speaking with them and the, and the contrast between Mary and Martha? It's one thing versus many things. It's one Lord and God versus many false gods that are very demanding. It's the many distractions of life against the one thing that is truly needed. That's the contrast that we see here. And if we don't clearly see that contrast, if we don't even if we don't sense it in our lives, then we won't see the, the magnificence of the gospel here. We won't see why Mary did set everything aside to listen to Jesus. Because do you, you recognize what a, a, an amazing, a magnificent gospel message Jesus has for us here when we sit at his feet and learn it with Mary? He says that one thing is needed, which means that all the other things are not. All of those distractions in life, all of those worries in life, all of our busyness in life. Now doesn't this story speak directly to life in America in the 21st century? We're so busy. We're always doing something. We're never done. We're always tired and we're always complaining that we can't get anything done. You might already right now, maybe there's a light blinking on your phone that says something important has happened. Maybe you're already thinking about what you have to do this afternoon or this week. We can never slow our minds down and stop and listen. There's so much going on. There's no room for escape. And doesn't this speak directly to that? One thing is needed. All of those other things are not. Mary, by sitting and listening, was recognizing the truth that all of our worrying and all of our busyness and all of our working and all of our efforts, they can't do a thing to extend our lives in this world or even to make them any better or richer or more, more enjoyable. All of those other things, the distractions, the idols out there that, that call for your attention, that call for your service, whether it be hospitality or, or whatever it may be, you don't have to listen to them. This gospel frees you from them. So when they come with their threats and their demands, if you don't get this done, oh, there's going to be trouble to pay. You better get this and this and this done today or today will be a failure. You don't have to listen to them. Listen instead to the gospel in which Jesus says, my Heavenly Father knows that you need those things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Or as Jesus put it so simply, there's, there's only really one thing in life that is truly needed. Sadly, that's not the message that you hear in many churches today, especially in America. 
The focus is not on Jesus' service to us, to sinners, but rather on sinners' service to Jesus and what we must do for God to make him happy with us. And maybe you've heard a sermon that goes something like this. There's the first part, which is the law, and it tells you you're a, you're a damned sinner. Part two is the gospel, where it says that Jesus came to save damned sinners. And then part three, which is often the longest part, is now go out there and do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. The list goes on. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a wrong format for a sermon. Certainly, sermons can take that shape. But... If that is what you're being fed on a regular basis, uh, just a brief mention of the first use, second use, first use of the law and then gospel and then an extensive portion of third use of the law, what you should be doing as in service to God, what do you come away with? What's the idea left in your mouth that the one most important thing is in life? Well, wouldn't it have to be your service to God? what you do for him rather than what he has done for you in Jesus? Isn't that message, whether it's, it's intentional or not, isn't it kind of telling you that Jesus has taken care of, of sin and death? Uh, you're you're going to be good on judgment day, but up till then, it's up to you. You can rest in Jesus when you die, but there's no rest for you now. Now you have to be go, 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 busy, busy, busy. Now that's well and good, and and I truly do hope you understand and you believe that Judgment Day holds nothing and no fear for you, that you will rest in Jesus on that day. You will rest in his bosom. He will take you home to heaven. But while I know that I will have more than enough time away from work and worry when I'm dead, couldn't we all use a little rest right now? Rest is why Jesus was at Mary and Martha's house that day. And it's why he's with us in this house today. He is the one thing needed. And he's already come, hasn't he? He's come to never have an idol. He's come to never blaspheme the Lord's name. He's he's come to never despise preaching and the Lord's word because we have. He's come to cover us with his perfect righteousness so that God sees us as justified in his sight. And then Jesus took all of our sins against those first three commandments and four through ten for that matter to the cross. Now if you think that sins against the first three commandments or if you even think that Martha, what Martha did was pretty minor, what's the big deal? Just remember Jesus hanging from that cross by his hands and his feet. Remember his cries of agony. Remember that his father turned his back on him in the torture of hell to pay for those sins against the first three commandments. To pay for Martha's sins and mine and yours. These are serious, but we have a serious Savior who came to take them away. Rest is why Jesus came and rest is what he delivers to us right here. And I hope you feel that and see that every single Sunday. In word and sacrament that Jesus wants to give you rest. Rest for eternity, yes, but rest right here and now. To take time away from the distractions of life. We're all worried about our gas tanks these days, aren't we? And isn't it weird how 
The more expensive gas gets, it seems like your tank runs out faster. Isn't that weird? But here, when you come here, you have the opportunity to be reminded that you have been baptized. And baptism is something that will never run dry. It is a well of God's grace that you can always turn to no matter what you have done or no matter what distraction there is in your life. We're worried about bills. They come every day. They never seem to stop. Well, our sin is a debt that needed to be paid, but in the absolution that you hear every Sunday, you hear that that's a debt that has been paid once and for all because when Jesus said it is finished, it really was, and there's nothing left to be done. The price of food is astronomical right now, at least compared to what we have been used to. Some of us can't afford to eat exactly what we used to or what we would prefer to eat. But here on this table, this very day, are Jesus' body and blood, which offer you the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. That is food that will never inflate in price. It will never become too expensive for you to afford. It will never suffer from supply chain issues. These are the free gifts that Jesus wants to dispense to you each and every Sunday because through these gifts, he gives you rest. There's one last magnificent gospel angle of this story. Jesus says that Mary has chosen the better part and what she has chosen will not be taken away from her, which means that all the rest of it will be. All the worries that we have right now, the heartburn, the sleepless nights, the distractions, those will all be taken away. That's what we, why we do what we do. Each Sunday is a little glimpse into heaven. Away from the distractions, away from the worries, away from the anxiety, away from the idols that tell us you have to go, 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 do, do, do if you want to be saved. Here we step out of the busyness of life and we step into God's grace and his rich love for us. That's really what the third commandment is all about. When you hear the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember that the word Sabbath means rest. Take time out of your day, every day, to rest with Jesus. Take time every week to come here to rest with Jesus. Because when you do, then you will see how magnificent the gospel is that it not only promises rest for all of eternity, but it promises us rest even now because the Lord has taken care of everything. When you hear the third commandment, hear Jesus tell you, stop, listen, find your peace and your rest, not in your work, but in mine. Amen.